Hello and welcome to the Imagine Media Futures podcast. I am your host Tejas Nair, a new media artist and co-producer of the IMIT Media Arts Festival. This series features insightful conversations between Australian and Indian creatives about the future of independent media and creative ecosystems while discussing business remodeling and adapting through the pandemic, cross-cultural collaboration and strategies for effective audience outreach and engagement in the post-COVID-19 world. We hope that this series will act as a catalyst to forge sustainable collaborations between Indian and Australian practitioners to creatively respond to future opportunities. The Media Futures podcast is brought to you by AsiaLink Arts, the Australian Consulate General in Mumbai, and IMIT Media Arts Festival. Today we're speaking about strategic storytelling, the search of harmony, with James Boyce, who runs Grumpy Sailor, and Amitesh Grover, an interdisciplinary artist. How's it going, guys? Very well, thank you. Very well, very well. It's a it's a nice springy morning in Delhi, so that's brought a smile to our faces. Fantastic. Before we get into all the fun stuff, uh, James, could I ask you to maybe give our listeners a brief introduction on yourself and your work with Grumpy Sailor? Okay, great. Yeah, no worries. I can do that. Um, my name is James. I run a studio here in Australia called Grumpy Sailor Creative. We're based in Sydney um, and have some team down in Melbourne as well. Um, we're an experienced design studio, so we mainly work with uh, blue chip technology clients and uh, arts and culture, um, uh, arts and cultural institutions, galleries, libraries, archives, museums, theatre companies, you name it, we'll kind of throw our hat in the ring. Essentially, we're, we're looking to create experiences that are really um, emotionally resonant that imprint on memory that's kind of the 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 focus of the work that that we do and it really spans a whole bunch of different forms and um and types um in fact we're we're sort of not as concerned with form as we are with design and story so when it comes to working on things that's really what our our focus is um yeah that's I, i guess a very broad strokes um intro to to grumpy sailor uh, Amitesh, I know you've also uh, dabbled in many different uh, interesting art forms and practices. Um, would you like to give us a quick snapshot of your work? I call myself an interdisciplinary artist because I think I've been interested in a hybrid practice. Um, so I started out from theatre. I'm originally trained as a theatre director, um, but I then went on to do performances um, and then also develop installations. And uh, about a few years ago, I entered the visual art field as well and um, started producing photography and film uh, as well. Um, but while I do all of this, uh, I think my, my focus remains performance. My focus sort of remains, um, I, I, see, I see the world um, through the lens of performance. Um, and through the lens of bodies and actions and what we do. And, um, and also, uh, I'm interested in sort of in, in, in why people come together. So why people gather today and, you know, what, what is the potential of people gathering? Um, so a lot of work that I make uh, is, uh, you know, interactive. Um, it's, it's participatory. Uh, I, I love setting up interfaces um, through which and within which people can can talk to each other, can relate with each other. Um, and I also teach. 
performance at uh, art universities. Wow. I think there's a lot of uh, exciting stuff for us to talk about today. Uh, but I want to start with, you know, considering the two of you have uh, dabbled in so many different spaces within arts and technology and, and creative uh, work. How would you describe the changes that artistic production has seen, say, in the last 10 years? It's been a very exciting space with obviously technology changing nearly every day. Uh, but in your respective work, how would you say um, it's it's sort of evolved over the last decade or so? Sure, yeah. Um, look, I think um, something popped up the other day um, that kind of surprised me more because I'd forgotten it. Um, and it's, I don't know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, as a as a creative director, I, it's sort of, I often sort of get lost in the ideas uh, behind things. But um, I was talking to a, a business strategist, right? So, and, and they were saying that it's always really important to um, uh, don't sell the feature, sell the benefit, right? And and I think I think uh, if you're always selling features um, as a business, then you kind of get caught up in that that um, I guess the keeping up with the Joneses. I don't know whether you, that's a, a term that translates, but but sort of um, uh, you, you can really um, get lost in technology um, and, and sort of um, and, and, and get stuck in that place where uh, you're too focused on sort of the method um, rather than the outcome. And I think that um, I think if you if you'd tied your horse to that cart over the last 10 years, then you I'd be very surprised whether you had much of a brain left um, because it just moves at, at, at a cataclysmic speed. Um, and I think that ultimately, if, if you know, and it sounds like this is probably the, the, the place that, <laughs> in which Amitesh and I intersect is that it's around um, uh, stories and authenticity and a, a genuine connection with the people that you're uh, working with um, and, and that it's not necessarily the tool. Um, but I do think that there's been some, some radical changes that enable us to do some very interesting things that we weren't able to do before. Um, and I think that sort of being at the cusp of that, that those kind of, I guess, uh, technological um, um, uh, shifts allow you to, to do things that you weren't able to do before. So you can reach more people, um, you can give something, uh, given a type of experience that is uh, almost... Um, so immersive that you kind of forget yourself, right? Um, and and I, I think you don't necessarily need um, to overburden people with technology, but but I think that there are opportunities. Uh, I think you you end up using it to uh, enable or empower you to to go further than you were able to before. But I don't know what do they say uh, in Hollywood that the, the the script? Uh, what's the most important thing to making a film? Script, script, and script. <laughs> you know, it all comes down to the story or sort of what you're trying to achieve. And if you don't nail that, then really no amount of technology is going to save you. Um, and I, I think we've run quite a few experiments. We had a, uh, over the years um, um, a big one that we did with uh, Google and the Royal Shakespeare Company over in Stratford-upon-Avon was um, we're really interested in fragmented narrative um, and um, we were interested in sort of what, what would happen if you put um, – um, Midsummer, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream into a shotgun and exploded it through the internet. Um, 
would you still understand it to be Midsummer Night's Dream? Uh, you know, and so particularly when it's all fragmented and in sort of memes and and uh, and, and meme culture and, and little snippets and yeah, look, <laughs> the, the <laughs> it was an experiment and I, I'm sort of I, I'm I'm loath to do it any injustice, but it was you know. The answer is no. You don't understand it to be Midsummer Night's Dream. That you you do need that form uh, to constrain it, so that you can sort of watch it and and enjoy it. Because as soon as you sort of um, you've seen that in the eight years since play out in in I guess the the social media culture. Um, but I don't know whether you've had experience in um, that kind of fragmented narrative space, Amitesh, with your work. Um. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, they just asked about the last 10 years and uh, a lot has happened in the last 10 years. It's um, it's not been a, a linear um, forward looking progression in, in India. Um, uh, you know, my sense as an artist is that um, we've been taking a step forward and two steps back in terms of um, culture and, um, and and what's largely happening in our society. Uh, here, but I mean, coming back to the question, so so I'll come back to this question of you know I I was a fan of fragmented storytelling till conspiracy theory and certain kind of politics took over, and then I found myself uh, recently uh, sort of searching for another kind of a narrative uh, which talks to our times, which. And our times do profit from fragmented storytelling uh, a lot, um, and 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 you know I, I think that's you know how the word postmodernism has become uh, not such a good word to to talk about our world anymore. Um, so, I but but just to sort of you know talk about what has happened in in terms of cultural production in India in the last ten years, um, the 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 I think. Significant things have happened. Um, you know, for example, borders have uh, become more blurred, and by this I mean political borders as well, because I think more uh, we're not just talking about India anymore, but we're also sort of expanding that to talk about the South Asian uh, identity. So we are talking about uh, artists and art sort of connections, cultural connections across the borders with uh, neighboring countries. Um, and we're also tracing histories um, uh, far more frequently and with much more vigor uh, in this in, in this region. Um, we are normalizing technology as part of storytelling, uh, and I think that's because there's been a mass migration uh, to mobile devices, uh, iPads and smartphones, um, and the mobile network in India uh, is, I think, one of the most dense and has reached the remotest parts of the country. So a lot of content that's being created today um, is being created for the mobile, uh, for the smartphone. And I think that has changed uh, how audiences consume um, these, uh, these, these cultural productions and how they respond uh, to, to artistic uh, projects. Um, and also for us in South Asia, the two touring circuit has, has opened up a lot. So that I think artists are able to now, you know, move move between towns with far 
much faster and um, and also to also to the 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 uh, sort of the non cosmopolitan areas to smaller cities to smaller towns to and so that was that was unimaginable um, say 10 15 years ago and now that's that's quite possible um i i so but to, to come back to the question of you know fragmented storytelling and you were uh, james were talking about uh, midsummer night's dream um fragmented on the internet now uh, i i did do a lot of experiments in in f- uh, sort of this fragmented experience um on the internet so 6 uh, 7 years ago for example i created a sleep festival uh, online where i invited people to um sleep um to experience sleep in different in different ways um and one part of this was entirely on the internet where i invited people to uh sleep uh, sort of co-sleep uh, across different cities um and we we planted uh, devices and pillows um and in mattresses so that you know as you as you slept um or you know you could feel the sleeping uh, the the breathing rib- rhythm of your co-sleeper um across the internet in some other town in some other city um and this kind of a co-presence would mean something that this is another kind of reality that uh, you know that all of us are now uh, are we we feel it we experience it and so for me um the virtual and the and the physical are actually not opposites of each other they're extensions of each other yeah thank you mitesh um i want to touch upon a thread that you mentioned about uh, how uh, technology has not just affected your practice but also the audience right and the audience is a huge part of uh, the work that we do um i, I want to try and trace uh, how that evolution is is different or similar uh between india and australia because india has obviously had this huge smartphone movement is there james maybe a uh, an equivalent uh, evolution that's taken place in australia and australian audiences actually probably about 6 or 7 years ago we were talking about sort of mobile first right um which was a big shift away from uh desktop computing um and that if you were to build anything that would have any resonance um for an audience it had to be um on mobile and i think that but i think and i i i think that there was already a, a significant fatigue um around uh around that um when covid hit um and i think that that's just accelerated uh, a technological fatigue for a lot of people um you know no, nobody wants to sort of sit on zoom all day um and then uh, uh and then hang out with your friends online uh, at night right so i think um but at the same time the level of expectation from audiences um around um uh, that sort of very impulsive and on demand um uh sort of click and you shall receive mentality is permeating every single part of our culture here in australia and so um i think it's sort of um I think people want all of the things that uh technology can provide um particularly when they're out having some form of sort of uh, I guess social experience or cultural experience um but they are fatigued by 
the devices that they might have to interact with. So I think more and more there's 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 a there's a demand for um, uh, to slip that technology away um, and and show me exactly what it is that you you want me to interact with because you're interfering with it. Um, so if that's another person or if that's an artwork or if that's a performance, then let me interact with them and and facilitate um, you know aid the human interaction. Don't come at the expense of it. And so I think that that's that's changing and shifting. And I think that you know as you know, I guess uh, not that we're in um, in a predictive mode just right now, but I do think that with the the advent of um, uh, 5G and the rollout across Australia, I think we're going to see um, Internet of Things really accelerate um, what is possible. So you're going to have kind of reactive spaces. You're going to have dynamic learning environments. Fascinating stuff, right? Like, uh, and and how you do that is is really, you know, I think uh, you know that's that's the subject of smart cities and and how they're they're operating. But yeah, I think. Um, it's certainly shifting um, and has shifted and, and is accelerated dramatically through what's gone on over this last year. And I don't think we're, you know, the toothpaste is out of the, the toothpaste is out of the tube. I don't think it's going back in. Um, and I think that this will just be another milestone. It's kind of on the journey up the hill um, as we kind of re- reshape our world. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and this is a really interesting theme about technology presenting these exciting opportunities and how just the tools and the platforms that we work with, as soon as those, those evolve or take a step forward, it changes everything for the creator and for the studios and the practitioners. I think they're so much more interactive than they ever were, you know, and I think that there's a, there's a conversation that goes on. And, and um, I don't know, do, I'm not from, uh, fully familiar, Amitesh, with the, do you work in film, like in, in, in film content as a medium? Um, I do. I do produce uh, uh, films as an artist, um, not, not that uh, sinful industry called Bollywood, but... Uh, <laughs> do 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 work in film, yes. But there's there's something about that 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 it's um it's such a fixed form, right? Like once you've created it, it's locked, it's edited, it's mastered out, and then it goes out to the world. There's no opportunity to change it. Whereas I think what's happening uh, with other technologies around us is that they are facilitating a, a dynamism um, and a relationship with the audience and with the user that uh, can constantly be adjust. It completely changes the way you make something. Um, um, and, and, you know, we often say the first, the first um, day of a project is really once we've delivered it, particularly if it's got any kind of digital tip, because then, then you've got this opportunity to tweak it and shape it, and that's when really great uh, UX or, or, you know, audience experience, you know, you, you can morph and you can change and you can shift and, you know, this is something that actors have been doing for hundreds and thousands of years is that when they get up on stage, um, they have a relationship. There's a transaction that goes on between them and their audience and they stand up and they'll start performing. And if, you know, you talk to any performer, Amitesh, I'm sure you've got your own stories around how, um, you know, you, you know that audience response is, is what you play off, right? And, 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 uh, and you respond and adjust and, and it's that purity of experience that is starting to permeate through, oh, okay, that would be quite cool if we could react 
and adjust and reshape our, our, our output based on what the feedback is that we're getting. Um, yeah. Stand up comedy. Yeah. Don't get me to do that. You know, if I'm bombing, I'll just not want to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're right. Absolutely. Uh, James, you point out something that I think I've, I've felt, um, uh, you know, working across these different mediums. Um, I've always uh, thought of um, film and photograph uh, as an object uh, when compared to the digital medium, which is, which doesn't, doesn't feel like an object. It feels like you're saying more dynamic. Um, it's, it's ever changing. People are responding. And so, um, one of the things that I think uh, that, that, that website designers use, which is similar to what uh, uh, theater people use, this, this vocabulary of uh, going live, um, that whenever they put a website on for the public to, to access, they, go, they say the website has gone live. And I found that very strange because that's a, that's a, that's a vocabulary that we've been using in the theater for, for hundreds of years, that the show is live now. Um, uh, you know, or news uh, uh, studios use it. Um, so, 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 my sense of working with these two mediums is that while one is film and f- uh, photography is static, it's spoken of more in terms of an object. Once you make it, you can't change it. Um, and so, I'm very nervous making uh, a film uh, or a photograph because I know it's going to last for eternity. Um, I'm not so nervous making something that is live for the digital platform because I know that even, you know, once we open it, I can still keep tweaking it and we can sort of respond to how the audiences are, are behaving with it. Um, and sometimes sometimes uh, there is a tension between how, as an artist, I want, uh, you know, this this work to, to appear online and how the audience uses it. There's a big tension between it. I, 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 I I know that as an artist, I reject, I, I sort of reject audiences' force on uh, this work that I've created, um, and I want to be able to sort of, you know, um, um, you know, sort of, sort of redirect the the this this force that they are uh, they are wielding upon this work into another way. And sometimes I want to be able to transform and change the work as the audience is losing it. Um, it depends, it depends on what, you know, the context and what kind of work I have made, but this, this idea between the live and the recorded is something that is, that, that for me is, is very, very important. Um, audiences do consume all these, these two different mediums in different ways. Um, they know that they can't interact with film and a photograph. So they, so they, they're very happy just standing or, and sitting and being passive consumers. Whereas uh, I think any, any work that I produced online, they want to interact with it. Um, they, they bring with them an enthusiasm and a curiosity about, okay, let me see if I can change this. Let me see if I can in, interrupt it. Let me see how, what are the different layers that I can discover. Um, in it, sometimes they're disappointed by uh, the the depth of interactivity that the work does not seem to have, um, and sometimes they're quite excited by it. Um, so, and I also I also do think that I that 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 warm cultures uh, or hot cultures um, consume tech in a different way than cold cultures. And I know I'm making a horrible generalization here, um, but 
uh, there is a, I mean, you know, as an artist working and, and showing my work across the world, I have seen uh, people responding very differently to, to the same kind of work that I have made uh, coming from different cultures. Um, um, and there seems to be a more, uh, a, a more ready um, and a tactile sort of relationship uh, that warm, that people coming from warm cultures make with the work. They want to touch it. They want to, you know, start a conversation with it immediately. Uh, but I've felt that in cold culture, they are far more respectful and distant. And, and so they, they want to be able to, uh, you know, have the work have its first say before, um, before they step in. And this was very evident in the Sleep Festival where um, uh, the, the first show that we did was between Berlin and Delhi. And so there were, there were people who were sleeping would come as a community of sleepers in Berlin and as a community of sleepers in Delhi. And in Delhi, they were, people were singing and telling stories and, um, and in, people in Berlin were very happy just listening. Uh, um, and they weren't the first sort of movers. Um, you know, and I thought that was, that, 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 that was very interesting that I think that tech is received very differently um, in, in these cultures. But I'm, you know, I could be way off the mark with this generalization that, you know, that could I, be. A- I, don't, I actually, I don't think you are. Like, I, I grew up in um, just south of Sydney, so it's a very warm climate. Um, but um, nowhere near as warm as you guys. Oh, my God. Mumbai. Uh, <laughs> I can't handle it. I'm, I'm built for the colder weather. The, um, but I lived in New Zealand for three years. And I started my career over in a, a film studio over there. And um, I was fascinated by um, how uh, how much um, culture was consumed, um, both collective and in, uh, collectively and individually, um, in a nice warm nook. So whether that be like a, a, a theatre or a cinema or, you know, at home under the doona um, or sort of gaming in somebody's living room next to the fire, like it, it, there's, it, it's, um, you know, and, and then the result of that is, you know, I don't know whether you're that familiar with things like uh, um, uh, Kiwi um, uh, uh, film, but there's a quirk to it. Uh, that that I that I think is possibly the result of how much they love that uh, that kind of sort of settling in um, and and just watching something kind of uh, peculiar um, play out um, uh, as opposed to sort of getting up and, and and involved with it. Whether there's you know I don't know. I, look, we're sweeping generalizations. That's what we're here for, isn't it? Uh, I, I think that. <laughs> Right. No, I just wanted to sort of, you know, come in and um, say that I, I know that, of course, sometimes in a, as a director, I also need to think about uh, audiences that come in um, a group. Um, but also when I made this, my recent work uh, entirely for online consumption, I also noticed that there is a deception um, on the Internet. And the deception is that while the work that you make is being watched by hundreds of people at the same time, the connection that is being made is only between two people. Um, so that the performer, uh, while, while he or she is performing for the, you know, for, 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 for the camera and that's being streamed, is being watched 
perhaps by just one or two people at the other end sitting somewhere else. But it's being watched simultaneously by one or two people in 200 um, across the world. And I think this, this, this deception uh, is something that I thought a lot about. Um, because remember in the theater, when a performer comes, uh, they address the entire group of people watching them. Um, and online, it's difficult to know who is watching you, um, where are they sitting, um, and also how many of them are there. But at the same time, you have to keep assuming that it's, there's only one or two people um, listening to you and, 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 and watching you and interacting with you. Um, and that for me was, uh, was, was, a, was a strange idea to uh, work around. Last time we spoke a couple of months ago, we would. Um, did I tell you about the the guys at Redline Productions um, here in Sydney? I think I might have mentioned them. They uh, they ran a the old Fitzroy um, and the, the which is a a very small independent theatre here in Sydney, and they were really um, struggling when COVID hit, and uh, and so. Um, <laughs> It was sort of a last-minute Hail Mary uh, reached out to Alec Baldwin and said, do you want to read um, part of this play or do you want to do a, do you want to do a te- like a, a live reading online? Um, and, uh, and then they've actually hacked the way that I think YouTube Live worked um, so that it was only available for this window. And once you got a ticket, you were able to, Oh, you didn't even have to buy a ticket. You got you made a donation as the as the play was read, um, and uh, they've never seen anything like it. Is that somebody might pay a dollar to get in the door, and then the virtual door, but then um, you know had given a hundred dollars by the time that they'd finished because it was such a good performance. But then it's so ephemeral that that is that's done, and no one will ever see it again. So it's kind of like taking that deception um, where it's kind of one to many, but saying you know. There is a you are you are a participating audience member for this period only, and that it can't be you know th- that's I think one of the challenges when you're making stuff that uh, has a rollout in a uh, in a digital environment is that it's kind of like stamped and that's it, it exists forever you know and that, that footprint you know but but there, I think there are people challenging that and I think there's a really interesting kind of uh, dynamic that's starting to appear with with people who are creating work online and it's it's. Yeah, it's like a shifting undercurrent. Um. I'm just sorry. I'm just going to chime in here and, and and try and direct this towards uh, an interesting phenomena we're all we're all experiencing right now. In fact, because I, I read from what both of you are saying that the circumstances under which the work is presented, created, uh, as well as consumed, is obviously a huge uh, part of the experience for both both sides. You know, the creators as well as the audience. How? Have you your teams, your organizations, and your work personally, um, you know, pivoted or uh, adapted uh, to newer forms or ways of uh, of creating and presenting work during uh, COVID nineteen? And um, also, I want to talk about the the trends that you might have noticed appear from this unique uh, circumstance of everyone being at home, um, using technology more than ever, and not just for work. 
Yeah, no, thank you, Tejas. That's that's a that's a that's an excellent question, um, and I think uh, we are still trying to find out uh, how how this how this pandemic has affected the way we work. It certainly has. Um, I've had to adapt uh, very significantly, actually, in the last year um, about how to make work. Uh, one of the first things that got shut down when the pandemic hit us were uh, spaces of public assembly, which by default mean, means auditoria, any kind of open air spaces where people gather to watch performances. So performers were suddenly out of work and all shows got cancelled. Um, and so I think we had to come up with different ways. Um, so uh, we, I mean, yeah, we, we, got, we got back online and I think uh, this was about two or three months into the lockdown that I started to think about creating a new piece of work. Um, which would be hosted entirely online. So I brought um, a team of coders, programmers, along with um, a theater writer and uh, theater performers, and we started to build an, an entirely new work. Um, and it started by sort of thinking about an uh, interface. Um, what is the kind of interface that we would like to build? And I, I remember at that time we were being... Um, uh, bombarded with Zoom performances, um, and uh, there were there were you know actors across the world, directors were exploring uh, how deep could Zoom go, and uh, could it get extended from just being a boring app for conferences and symposiums to uh, being something creative as well. Um, and so I was I was quite disappointed with with that, and I thought it would be interesting to sort of build a platform ground up. Um, that was that was for performance. So we created a virtual world um, of uh, a city with about 400 houses, uh, all of them up in the air, uh, caught in a storm and uh, whirling. Um, so when the audience enters this interface, uh, they are confronted with these whirling um, houses and rooms. And they need to navigate their way across this world and click on uh, these rooms. Um, and once they click on these rooms, they enter and they meet a performer who's performing live. Um, and he's playing characters and uh, telling stories. And each character and each story lasts about um, six or seven minutes. And then at the end of which um, you're given a choice Either you can leave the, you can exit the room, go back to the city and click on another room, or there is a poll that appears on the screen and you um, choose, uh, you have four or five options and you choose which story or which character you want to meet next. Um, and the entire audience is taking this poll live. Um, and once, and so the, the option that gets the most number of votes um, then you know, uh, dictates that that's the story and that's the character that the performer will perform. Um, and so just to build this, this and this is a 90-minute performance, partly in Hindi and English. Um, and we, we had, I had about five performers um, and we had about 30 different episodes, 30 different characters and stories. And uh, I calculated there were about 125 ways in which you could experience this work. So that you had to actually, you could not watch this work uh, fully 
the first time or the second time or the third time that you had to keep coming back to uh, watch more and more of these characters and the scenes that you missed in the last uh, viewing actors converted their own houses their own uh, rooms into performing spaces they got walls whitewashed uh they uh, threw out their family um uh two of their performers actually asked their family to leave and go uh, to a to a friend's house uh, for the time that they were rehearsing and uh, preparing for the show um and uh, we were trying to get you know uh, navigate around all the internet troubles and the precarity of you know uh, technical infrastructure in a country like india um so there were times when uh because it was live the performers their streams would just stop working in the middle of the show um and we would quickly patch to a recorded uh performance um and and fill the fill the show up till they could then uh, come back on live and i really insisted uh, as an artist that we would actually be performing this live um because i do think that the the experience of the live uh, still um does something to the skin you know you do get goosebumps still when you experience something live i the other and i'll stop after this I'll, the other i think thing that has happened during the pandemic is that a lot of archival material has been brought online uh, especially from um the arts visual as well as performing arts so there were uh, plays um from across the world from national theaters that were being put online um and that is something that i haven't even though i've traveled a lot and you know shown my work and i've studied outside of india as well um this this uh it was very special for me to see the national theater uh, you know in different countries putting up their work uh online from say 20 years ago a production that they did 20 years ago yes that was not made for the camera yes it looked awful um you know you could not hear the sound properly and you wanted you wanted to you wanted to zoom into actors faces but you just keep kept watching the stage uh fully but in a you know as an artist for me that was that was really special for all this archive to be brought online it's it's such like a fascinating piece of work I'd, i'd love to see it um i'm a great believer as a designer in a constrained brief and in fact an open brief is a really uh, difficult thing for us as an organization to deal with um and our designers um they say they want it and they demand it they create they crave these open briefs and then they get one and they don't know what to do with it because you know constraints breed creativity and they force you to do things that you wouldn't always uh, ordinarily do i think um a lot of our work is is um sort of uh driven by client um that client supplier relationship and uh, uh a, a good friend of mine um at at Lassian big Australian success uh, story of a company and they they built things like Jira and Trello and um uh, yeah so it, it's really about kind of project project management um workflow software obviously a company that just exploded during um covid um and the thing that they allow people to do is to collaborate online in at a at a much higher level right so you can get through more what they didn't i think recognize i think was was the value of of interhuman relationships um in, in terms of you know actually being physically present face to face with one another and um uh, they are renowned in australia for having these massive events um 
uh, their, their entire calendar got wiped. And they were like, well, how do we get the entire company to, to come together and coalesce? Because that's a really part, important part of our culture as a team. And so the brief for us was, was around, um, you know, how do we have a team building exercise um, uh, that is kind of built for COVID? And so we built this, this thing that has, um, uh, I think it's, there's five seats on it. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of bonkers, but it, it sort of starts in Mars and uh, the world has um, uh, killed itself through climate change. Um, and uh, in order to return from the Mars space station, this is in 2067 20, or 21,067. And uh, in order to return, they have to deploy a whole bunch of robots. Um, and it's a combination of film, it's a combination of live performance, it's a combination of uh, games, and uh, it, the whole thing runs for 90 minutes. Um, but it's, you know, the, the feedback we've got from it is that um, it was the first time that it didn't feel like another, just another Zoom call. So we really kind of pushed it up to that level of like, okay, well, how do you have something where the time just goes like that? Because you know, the day drags on when you're sort of in video conferencing. And so I think, look, fundamentally, I think there's been some huge shifts. But at the same time, I think what we are seeing here in Australia is a pent-up demand for um, human-to-human interaction. And ultimately, it's the, it's the stories that we tell uh, as creatives that will help us as a society and as a community process what just happened, you know, because it's like it came out of nowhere and it's just completely uh, dismantled our lives and we have to put them back together and it's going to be our responsibility as the cultural and creative makers to tell that story and to help us interpret it and move past it and move beyond it. And I think that there's this opportunity for us to do things in a really, I don't know, a, a, a more unique way and if there's a, the right support given at the right time, I think... Um, you know, we can come back fighting harder and, and stronger and, and better um, than we were before, you know, with more sustainable business models, with sort of more engagement online um, before or after an event um, so that it doesn't just stop there and then. But sorry, I'm, this is my pitch now. I'm moving into my my, my pitch for the new world order. <laughs> no, but I, I'm, I'm really glad that you touched upon it because um, I think uh, – very rightly so, you, you know, creatives have found themselves in a position where they there's all these stories to now be told because we also feed from what the world is going through and what our surroundings are about. And uh, COVID's also presented us with this incredibly dystopian landscape where the entire world can shut down. And I know a lot of stories that can come through that experience as well. And going forward, it's going to impact the kind of stories that keep coming. But even if it's even if it's a rejection of that. That, that dystopian um, experience that we've just lived through, then it's kind of stories of hope and, and stories of escapism and stories of fantasy that will elevate us and take us to, okay, well, that's, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to um, explore that. I, I want a deeply artistic and mesmerizing and challenging experience to take me to another level. How do you envision uh, collaboration between arts practitioners, uh, for this example between, say, India and Australia uh, going forward uh, because there are unique opportunities um, 
unique skill sets, unique cultural sort of uh, interest points. There's all this amazing wealth of stuff between both these countries and some of which, uh, James, we've also explored while you were here in IMIT. And, you know, uh, a, a huge reason for us to do that is to explore those conversations and, and divulge in those, uh, you know, possibilities. Um, yeah, I'd love to know what uh, both of you think about that and, and also the landscape of creative arts practice going forward. No, yeah, I uh, so, uh, agree word for word with what James said um, about how the creative industries and artists and storytelling um, are going to help us process um, the the last year. Um, and I think, as an artist, my uh, my something that I often ask myself is that what what is worth remembering from from this time, and how do I how do how do I find it, um, and then how do I how do I express it uh, through through my work, um, and I th- that I think which this this is something that also makes me think about collaboration. Um, that for me personally, I mean, collaboration is not just about bringing together different skill sets, but also uh, about can we talk about memory? Can we talk about um, what do we need to remember? Can we talk about how to how to do this? Not just what form to give it, but why are we why are we doing this? Coming back to your question of uh, collaboration between Australia and India, one of the strongest connections that Australia and India have is of migration. Um, and my time in Australia, I was in Melbourne and, and uh, was fortunate enough to travel uh, also from outside Melbourne and go deeper into the country. Um, and um, make a lot of friends um, who spoke about not just about recent migration, not just about migration that happened in the last 100 years, but migration that happened in the last 2,000 years. Um, and that, I think, for me, uh, moved me a lot, but also, <clears throat> but also opened for me um, this vast area of uh, discovering storytelling between these two lands. Um, which, which personally, I would be, I would be interested in to explore as an as an artist. Um, yeah, look, I think a um, um, future opportunities, right, for for collaboration between India and, and Australia. That's kind of what we're talking about, right? I, th- I think one of the things that Amitesh said right up front um, that was, I think, uh, when you were talking about the the change in over the last ten years. And, and, and what what are the one of the big fundamental differences was the mobility of performers being able to get to different places. Um, I think um, what we're seeing there in terms of being able to it's never been easier um, than now to reach out across international borders to collaborate or to have a conversation. You know, for all intents and purposes, you may be in the room next door to me um, to just have that conversation. And I think that that, 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 that has accelerated that um, uh, what was sort of, I guess, the, the, the privilege the, the privilege of industrialised nations, I think, has, has now become the, the, the new normal for everyone um, in that everybody had to kind of ramp up their kind of, I guess, the technical... Uh, connection 
sooner rather than later in order to just get by and get get shit done and, and to get on on top of stuff. At the same time, I think um, what we don't want is globalized stories, right? Because um, the, the stories have become um, homogenized over time, so that they, uh, I guess, um, lowest common denominator. Um, whereas something that I think is is happening in Australia is is like a push for more heavily localised stories. So what's particularly interesting about this place and how does it inform the kind of stories that we tell to each other? And so I think that, you know, I think that whatever happens between um, any collaborations creative, uh, creatively between India and, and Australia, I think it, it, it has to be a transaction. It needs to be a conversation um, and it needs to be... Um, uh, an interpretation of two worlds coming together to tell, you know, what's what what, what does that particular recipe create? Is what I'm getting at. Um, you know, when you pull those two ingredients together, because it's going to be very different to um, collaborations that are potentially happen between others. You know, it's it's actually kind of looking at things and saying, well, how do you just percolate over time um, without the demands and constraints of of, of you know forcing something to get done in a very short amount of time, um, giving things time to go live, um, as Amitesh was saying, you know, and when they go live, sort of, yeah, I'm rambling. I'm sorry, I do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Fantastic opportunities um, uh, on the horizon uh, for sure. And uh, where where do you see your work uh, right now, considering the year we've had, uh, the evolution of technology, like we discussed, the uh, the, the probably you know uh, pivots in your interest and likeliness to tell certain kinds of stories. Uh, what do you see as next steps for you and your work? Uh, <laughs> you you you've really kept the most difficult question for the last. Uh, we uh, I think as 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 artists we I think certainly I am not on the right side of power. So uh, right now in the Indian context, um, I think going further, I'm going to be um, up against um, a lot of uh, force that comes my way. Um, and I think through my work, I need to be very, con you know, like consciously uh, countering it, confronting it uh, and pushing back. Um, uh, I always, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 I think that's 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 precisely uh, for me the I think the challenge going forward, uh, the digital and the and the technological I think come as a liberating platform um, for me to be able to make work that uh, is able to reach, you know, um, hundreds of people uh, and it's not bound by the physical limitations of an auditorium or a city uh, in which I'm showing work. Um, so the last work that I made was not just watched by people in India, but, you know, across the world. And I think that is the kind of work I'm uh, very interested in going forward. Uh, keeping in mind very much what James has pointed out, which is, I think, uh, you know, it's something that I think everybody who tells stories needs to needs to keep in mind, uh, which is to sort of be, a, be, be committed to telling a local story um, and be and, and fight uh, make it difficult for it to get translated at the same time trying to maximize reach and showing it to a global audience i mean how do you how do you bring these two 
contradictory things together. Um, uh, I I do, and and this is this is what was the challenge with uh, my recent work. It was called the Last Poet. Uh, it was mostly in Urdu and Hindi, and with parts in English, and parts of, because it was live. You cannot have subtitles. So, a lot of people who joined who were not uh, Hindi speakers were not able to understand what was being performed and there you know there was no other way for them to access uh, uh the performance and at the same time we did have people coming in for repeat shows and that told me something that i think in a world in which everything is getting hom- homogenized as, as james was pointing out we do crave that which is not translatable easily we do crave what is strange um and alien uh, to us, and yet which touches us, yet which moves us, um, and that that is something that I, I and in my time in uh, you know this time that I spent in Australia, I was uh, deliberately looking for work which was at its heart Australian, uh, which was difficult for me to understand coming from a non-Australian context, and I would actually spend hours after having watched a play outside with somebody trying to understand what the play was about what that work was about um for it and and it would change me slightly as a person to access something that is that is foreign to me um and for me that is really the challenge going forward to to hold the foreign and what i'm familiar with what is me uh somehow together and make work amazing uh yeah and james where do you and the the larger team at uh, grumpy sailor see your work heading uh from here on forward and and has it been impacted in some way do you do you pivot do you change the way you tell stories i think so um i think it has changed i think um there's more ambition for our work now um you know one of the driving uh factors uh, or, or, or our just cause as an organization is to create work that uh, or create experiences that change lives communities and institutions for the better so that's it's it's really about impact and reach and so i think the probably the big shift um has been more of a it's a it's an ex, an, an existential flex for an organization um to say well we want to do big work and we want to do work that impacts many people and we want you know i i, I certainly that that my, my point about localized stories i think is still completely valid when you do that it's but but it's about kind of creating things that um touch many um and so um that's i guess the big shift and it's more of an uh intrinsic shift for us as an organization that we don't sort of you know somebody said to me the other day that it's um and, and this is more of a, a, a business um, um comment than a than a um, creative comment and that's because i see the two things as intrinsically intertwined um and and, and that it's, it's you know if you don't understand the business of creativity then you know ultimately you'll, you'll never be able to find the, the impact and scope that you want um from from the work and so you know the comment is that it's just as hard to run a small business as it is to run a big business 
um, it, you know, you've still got the same hours in the day, you've still got the same um, um, uh, uh, skills um, shortages, you've still got the same challenges with staff, you've still got the same <laughs> um, problems with money, they're just bigger. Um, but, but ultimately, I think that that's my, um, for me, what that comment says is that, you know, you're only curtailed by your ambition. And, and for, for, for a long time, if, you know, you'd asked me sort of a couple of years ago, um, where we sit as an organisation, we're always sort of facilitating other people's work, which we will still do, but also it's now time for us to bite the bullet and actually put our money where our mouth is and actually create some stuff that is, um, you know, something, things of, of, of the type that Amitesh has been making for years, it, it's, it takes a lot of guts to move away from, you know, um, being a gun for hire and actually moving into a space where it's like, well, we live or die by this, right? So, you know, and, and there's there's a huge risk involved, but there's also a great deal of kind of creative reward. And so that's probably the big change. So it's less to do with the tech, you know, the technology and the delivery mechanisms and, and audiences and more to do with sort of, well, why not be ambitious? Why not go 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 full, full blown, you know, put the accelerator down and just see how, how far, you know, you've got one life, right? Make it count um, and, and make all of the work that you possibly can, you know. And, and also trying to do it before maybe the next lockdown. Thank you so much, James and Amitesh. Uh, I wish you both all the best. And uh, any last thoughts either of you want to share before we wrap this up? Yeah, no, thank you, Tejas, for this, uh, for this invitation. Um, you just uh, brightened up my morning. I love this conversation with James. Uh, the wisdom and experience he comes with is absolutely fabulous. And this is the second time that I'm listening to James and his work and, and his context. Um, and it's as much uh, fulfilling as it was the first time. So thank you so much for this. Yeah, look, the feeling is absolutely mutual. I'm, it's just, uh, I'm, uh, I just, every time we have a conversation, I feel like I, I, I get a little bit deeper and I'm still, you know, we're still yet to meet in person, and someday we will. The materials will come together, and uh, yeah, it'll be good. But thank you, I really appreciate it. It's been a wonderful conversation, and yeah, let's continue. That's a lovely energy to uh, end this conversation with. That's all for today. Thank you guys so much, and uh, 